What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, this week I'm going to talk a little bit about the very first show that my partner David Isaacs and I ever sold and what that experience was like. And what prompted this was a couple of weeks ago on ABC, this was clearly a stunt, but they recreated live a couple of classic episodes of 1970s Norman Lear shows. They did an All in the Family recreation with Woody Harrelson as Archie Bunker. And then they did a Jefferson's with Jamie Foxx as George Jefferson. And it was very interesting. Parts of it worked. Parts of it uh, did not work. Uh, Jamie Foxx <laughs> went up on a line and kind of broke character, which I actually thought was really fun. It's like, oh, okay, if you're going to do a show live, then you might as well do something like that from time to time. In any event, uh, a lot of people asked me what I thought of it, and my reaction was actually not at all what I expected. What I expected was I would either find it funny or I would find it weird and dinner theatery and uh, I would find the scripts to be very dated and of a time. But instead, I found myself feeling really nostalgic. And that's because the very first script that my partner and I ever sold was a Jefferson's. And as the old saying goes, you never forget your first time. It was a magic experience for us. And so there is always a real fondness in my heart for the Jeffersons, even though I'll be honest and admit that after our episode aired, I rarely watch the show, only sporadically. It really wasn't my kind of show. It really wasn't the type of thing that I gravitated towards. But I always loved Sherman Hemsley. And uh, when I did watch it, 
uh, you know, I usually laughed. It was it was pretty funny. So that's this week on Hollywood and Levine. And so let's go back first and do a little history of the Jeffersons. The Jeffersons was a spinoff of All in the Family. The Jeffersons originally was a family that lived in Archie Bunker's neighborhood. And for the longest time, you never saw George because George would never set foot into Archie's house. And in the episode that he does, that's the episode that they introduced Sherman Hemsley originally. And that was the episode that they chose to do for this ABC special. And the Jeffersons got spun off. Uh, This was a thing that they were doing a lot back in the 70s. When you had a hit show, you spun off characters. And at the time, the two big hit makers, the two big comedy machines were the Norman Lear camp and the MTM camp. And out of the Norman Lear camp, first came Maud, then came Good Times, then came the Jeffersons. And with MTM, you had the Mary Tyler Moore show, then came Rhoda, then came Phyllis. So the Jeffersons started out as a mid-season show in January of 1975, and we wrote for the show later that fall. And when it premiered on CBS, it was an immediate hit. But the fact that it happened to be on Saturday night, which, believe it or not, was a big night of television viewing back then, now it's a wasteland. Now I don't even think that networks do original programming for Saturday night. Uh, Their numbers are so terrible. But back then it was really big. And so they inserted the Jeffersons Saturday night at 8.30. At 8 o'clock was All in the Family at the height of its popularity. And then at 9 o'clock was the Mary Tyler Moore Show at the height of its popularity. So... It was really well positioned, but the show took off and there were a lot of things to recommend it. Number one, that great theme song. I mean, one of the best theme songs of all time, the uh, the Jefferson's theme. And, uh, and the other thing was it was a, a great idea. It was a terrific idea for a series, and it was expertly cast. Okay, so the Jeffersons are on their way, and now it is winter of 1975, and I have just left radio. I had been a top 40 disc jockey bouncing around the country, getting fired for trying to be funny, and decided to come back to Los Angeles and really, in earnest, give this TV writing dream a shot. And so David and I decided we're going to give this two years and we are just going to continue to write spec after spec after spec and hopefully somewhere within two years somebody is going to recognize that we have some talent and hire us. So that was our goal. We were working daytime jobs at the time David was working at ABC in the film department where he would ship 
film copies of shows out to affiliates that had a tough time receiving them. This was all before satellite. And I was working at a place called the Kiss Broadcasting Workshop, and I could probably do a whole podcast on just that. Uh, That was a broadcasting mill. That was a a thing where people paid $2,000 or something uh, for 13 weeks, and we would teach them how to be radio announcers, how to tell the time, and how to cue a record. Uh, Yeah, it was a scam, but uh, hey, it was a a great job. And all I wanted was a job that was Monday through Friday during the day so I could have my nights and weekends free to write because I considered that my real job. And as long as I didn't have work that uh, I had to bring home with me, that's all I cared about. And if I didn't get a job at the Kiss Broadcasting Workshop, which was sort of in line with my profession, at least my profession back then, I was happy to work at May companies selling ties during the day or working at Orange Julius, making Orange Juliuses for people. I really didn't care. In fact, one of the thoughts that I had since I drew caricatures was, you know, just buy an easel and some art supplies and I'll go down to Redondo Beach or the Santa Monica Pier and just set up and draw caricatures for people. And if I make enough money to live on doing that, then great. That's really all I cared about was paying for the rent and food. And so David and I could work at night and on the weekends writing our scripts. So that was the plan. And we first wrote a pilot, and we knew nothing about television writing at the time. And I know some of this stuff, if you have followed my podcast and you have heard the episodes with me and David, I I know I'm going to be touching on some of this stuff again, you know, but I figure how many people are really well versed in the lore and legend of Levine and Isaacs, you know, six. So we wrote this pilot We had no idea what we were doing. Needless to say, it didn't sell anywhere. But the good news is we had a good time writing it. We had a good time writing with each other. And uh, my father worked at a radio station, KABC. He was the sales manager there. And one of the weekend talk show hosts was a guy named Frank Buxton. And he was also a TV comedy writer. He had written episodes of The Odd Couple and a number of other things. And we sent him the pilot, and he said, well, there's some funny jokes in here, but this is awful, and (laughs) you guys need to get serious about this. And I said, well, what do you mean serious about this? I thought we were serious about this. And he said, the way you break in is with a spec script of an existing show. Don't do a pilot. Now, that's 180 degrees different from how it is today. But back then, you needed to write a spec script from an existing show. So we decided, okay, our favorite show was the Mary Tyler Moore show. We'll write one of those. But there was a problem. And the problem was simply this. We had no idea where to start. 
So what we decided to do, since neither of us had taken any writing classes, really, we said every Saturday night, the Mary Tyler Moore Show is on CBS at 9 o'clock. I didn't have a girlfriend, so it's not like I was dating. And David had a girlfriend who was very tolerant. So we would get together in David's apartment every Saturday night, and we would not only watch the Mary Tyler Moore Show, but I had a cassette recorder with a little silver dollar mic, and I would hold the mic up to the speaker, and we would record it. Then when the show was over, we would sit down and write an outline based on that episode. Okay, Ted comes in and is worried because he's going to have a tax audit. Then Lou comes in and is having a fight with his wife, Edie. And in the next scene, uh, it's Mary's apartment and Rhoda comes to Mary and blah, blah, blah. So we would put together this outline. And we did this week after week after week until eventually we started seeing the patterns and we started figuring out exactly how they constructed these shows. And then we wrote our spec Mary Tyler Moore show, which got rejected all over town. But that's kind of what we expected. Again, just, you know, head down. We're just going to keep on doing it. The next script we wrote was Arota. Then we tried our hand, and I don't know why, uh, but we tried our hand at another pilot. Then we were mapping out a story idea for Happy Days. And I get a call one day from my mom. And she said she was playing golf, and one of her partners that day, since they just put foursomes together, was a guy named Gordon Mitchell, who she said was the story editor of The Jeffersons. And she said, once he said who he was, my mother, being a good Jewish mother, said, oh, my son is a comedy writer. He's really funny, and you should hire my son. And, of course, Gordon is thinking, oh, Christ. But he was very nice, and he said, okay, have him call me. So I did. I called, and actually got through. He actually took my call. And it was a very brief conversation. He said, yeah, 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 play golf with your mom. Do you have a script? And I said, yes, we do. He said, okay, send me the script. If I like the script, we'll have you come in and pitch some stories. I said, great, okay. So I decided to mail him the Mary Tyler Moore spec because of the various specs we had, I still like that one the best. So we sent off the script, and then about two weeks later, I get a letter from the Jeffersons. Now, I was just excited to get stationery that had the Jeffersons logo embossed on it. That was a big deal for me. Anyway, I opened the letter, And he said he really liked our spec Mary Tyler Moore show, that we show real promise, and to call and set up a meeting and come in and pitch. So I immediately got on the phone with him, and he said, okay, here's the ground rules. Because at the time, and again, that's 
back in 1975, and it's very different now. But back then, there were very small staffs on shows. You had a few producers, a couple of story editors, maybe a total of five, six at the most writers who were working on staff day to day. And the rest of the time, in terms of the actual drafts of the scripts, they farmed out to freelance writers. So you could make a pretty nice living back then just going from show to show, writing a couple of Jeffersons, and then you write a Bob Newhart show, and then you write a Good Times, and then you write an odd couple. You could cobble together a pretty nice career. But since so many writers were coming in pitching things and they didn't want to be inundated, they had a rule where you could only pitch three ideas. And in terms of the ideas themselves, basically they wanted thumbnail descriptions. You know when you uh, DVR something and it has the description on the screen that will say, you know, George meets the King of England and is offered knighthood. Okay, something like that. That's all they wanted. Basically, two, three sentences for each idea. So we went home and we put together three ideas and a meeting was set and we went down to pitch. And at the time the Jeffersons were filmed, actually taped, at CBS Television City at Beverly and Fairfax. And at the time, that was like Valhalla. (laughs) They did the Carol Burnett show there. All in the Family, many great variety shows, many great sitcoms. So many great things came out of that building. And it was like for us, you know, actually getting into the palace, (laughs) you know, actually being able to swim the moat and get into the palace. There was a drive-on for us at CBS Television City. That was that was so exciting that I saved the drive-in slip for a number of years. And I remember walking into the lobby and there was this CBSI wallpaper. And I'm looking around and like, wow, here we are. And we get to the front desk in the lobby. The guy actually had our names, told us where to go. We got into an elevator at at CBS. I mean, for all I know, Carol Burnett had just gotten out of that elevator. Jackie Gleason had been in that elevator. Lucille Ball had smoked 15 cigarettes in that elevator. So we go up and we meet with Gordon, and he had a writing partner too, Lloyd Turner. We sit down in their office, and we pitch our three ideas, And of the three, they actually liked one. And they said, okay, here's the process now. We send this up to the producers. And if the producers respond to it, then we'll buy it and you guys have an assignment. Wow, okay. So we go home. We're very excited. You know, fingers crossed. This could be it. This could make our career. And we get a call from Gordon about three days later saying, nah, 
producers didn't like your idea. Uh, we were crestfallen. But he said, come back with three more ideas. So we worked on three more. And I remember it was a Saturday night. We had watched the shows and then went out for pizza in Westwood. It was a place called Mario's, which was at the time very popular and kind of famous. And uh, in the tradition of America in the 21st century, it's now a California pizza kitchen. But I remember we were sitting in a booth and I thought, what about if George loses his confidence? Because George is so cocky. What if, let's say, a rival cleaners opens across the street and starts taking his business and he starts doubting himself? David said, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And we wrote it down on a napkin and had our pizza and decided to use that as one of our three ideas. We brought the three ideas back. And again, another drive on. There we were, CBS Television City. We could bump into Tim Conway or Harvey Corman or Walter Cronkite. Oh, man. Uh, we go up and we pitch our three ideas, and they liked that one. They liked the no confidence idea. They said, we'll send it up to the producers, and we will get back to you. So we left again. At the time, I was also making a little extra money on uh, one weekend a month. I would fly down to San Diego and I was a disc jockey on B100 FM in San Diego. That was the weekend that I went down. Boy, back in those days, you drive to LAX, you park across the street of the terminal for something like $6 a day. You go into the terminal right up to the gate. Flights were like every half hour, 45 minutes to San Diego. You just bought a ticket, got on a plane. It's like getting on a bus and fly down there. And 20 minutes later, you're in San Diego. It was like nothing to fly back then, but I digress. So I'm on the air and it's now 3.15 in the afternoon. And I get a call on the hotline from my roommate in Los Angeles. He said, you just got a call from somebody named Gordon Mitchell. Want you to call him. Oh, wow, that's kind of weird that Gordon Mitchell would call on the weekend. Okay, so I took down the number and called Gordon, and Gordon said, hey, I just heard back from the producers. I just wanted to let you know they liked your story. They're going to buy it. Like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> really? He said, yep. Uh, call me Monday. We'll set up a time to come on in for a story conference. Congratulations, guys. So the first thing I did was call David, who was equally thrilled. Now I remember it was 3.30, and I had to go on the air and play another record and do my break. And I remember what I said, hit the record, and I went, 3.30 at B100 FM, where I just sold a Jefferson's. 
my program director calls me up, what the fuck was that? And I explained to him, and we went out and celebrated that night. So now we go to have our story conference. And this is, again, very exciting for us because now we're actual working writers. And here's the thing. Back then especially, there were only three networks and there were only so many situation comedies. And to break in meant you pretty much had to break into the major leagues. Okay? Now... There are streaming shows and cable shows and YouTube shows and Facebook shows. And there's a lot of other opportunities for writers to cut their teeth and break in. Back then, there was no minor leagues. There was nothing else. You either broke in to one of the three major networks or you were not a working writer. So to sell a script meant, number one, we could join the Writers Guild. Number two, it was so much easier getting an agent because now we were working writers. And number three, we felt so much better about ourselves. It's like, okay, we actually broke through and very few people do that. So we're working out the story with them and then they say, okay, when can you have the outline? We thought, oh, um, <laughs> how detailed is this outline? Uh, what's the correct answer here? Is the correct answer, oh, yeah, we can have it for you in three days and have them go, three days? Why, it should take a week to do an outline. You're going to just dash off some piece of shit? Uh, or if we say, well, we'll take a week for this. And they go, a week? What do you need a week? You should be able to knock this thing off in a day. So what we did is we said, well, um, we'd like to see your format to see what one of your outlines looks like. So they gave us an outline and we kind of looked at it and we're going, three, four days, I guess. What? Maybe five, three. We said, um, yeah, four or five days. They said, fine. Okay. So we went home and wrote the outline. Then you bring it back and they give you notes and send you off to write the script. The other thing they told us about the script was they rewrite everybody. They told us if Neil Simon did a first draft for them, they would rewrite him extensively. Were we okay with that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Whatever. We got the assignment. You know, our names are going to be on the script. Sure. Whatever. So they said, okay, we're going to need this script early because the producers really love the idea and they really loved your outline. So we're moving it up in the schedule. So we need the script in two weeks. Ordinarily, since it was like the beginning of July, it's like, yeah, you know, we'd need the script in a month or six weeks, but we're going to need the script in two weeks. Well, there's one problem with that. David and I 
met in the Army Reserves. We were in the same Army Reserve unit, and we met during summer camp of 1973. Well, as part of your military service, you have to go to 16 hours of meetings every month, and you had to go to two weeks of active duty summer camp. Guess which two weeks they fell in 1975? You got it. The two weeks that we had to write are Jefferson's. It took us a long time anyway to write scripts back then. And the Army is not like jury duty. You can't just say, you know what, Um, July 8th is kind of an inconvenient time for me, so I'll just move it back to October. No, you got to go. So David and I wrote that draft of the Jeffersons at night in the barracks. And these were like big barracks, the kind you remember in movies like Full Metal Jacket, where 60 guys were in this giant ward and there were all these bunk beds lined up in two rows. Well, you know, all the guys are playing craps and smoking dope and listening to Jimi Hendrix albums. And we're in the corner going, Wheezy, you come over here, woman. And we were sounding like idiots, but we were sitting on a, a lower bunk bed writing into a three-ring binder. That's what our <laughs> our Jefferson's writing experience was like. And then we had to scramble around and find a typewriter to type the script. So we do it. We complete it. Now the two weeks are up and we come home from Fort Ord. It's Monday morning. I call Gordon Mitchell. I say, we have our script ready for you. Gordon says, great. When can I have it? I said, well, it's nine o'clock now. The Writers Guild doesn't open until 10. We got to go to the Writers Guild and register the script because you always registered every script that you wrote so that you would be protected. And I said, and uh, then probably it'll take another half an hour, uh, 1045, 11 o'clock. And Gordon goes, schmuck, you don't have to have the script registered. I bought the fucking script. You're protecting yourself from me. I said, oh, okay, well, then we could have it to you in a half an hour. And he goes, there you go. So, God, we were so green. So we we then turn in the script and we get the draft back a few weeks later. Get it in the mail. And I have to say, the title page was thrilling. There was an actual television script all mimeoed and looked great with our names on it. That was so exciting. Less exciting was when I started reading the draft. (laughs) He was right. (laughs) They did rewrite everybody. There were sporadically 
sprinkled in along the way a few of our lines. Okay, whatever. Still, we were beyond excited to have this opportunity to write at Jefferson's. And as I mentioned, as a result of that, we did join the Writers Guild and we did get a decent agent. Uh, Quick side note, there's the Writers Guild Film Society, which as a member, I got a chance to attend. And I go to the theater for the first time. I remember the very first movie I saw, the WGA, was Dog Day Afternoon, which tells you how long ago this was. And walking up the aisle together was Mel Brooks, Neil Simon, and Larry Gelbart. And I'm going, holy shit, I'm breathing the same air. (laughs) This is like Mount Rushmore is walking up the aisle to get popcorn. Unbelievable. So the next part of the process is the actual taping. We never went to a rehearsal. And I don't recall whether we were not invited to rehearsals or we just never asked. We didn't think that It was our right or privilege to ask to go to a rehearsal. So the first time that we saw the show was the night that they were taping it. And back in those days, they would tape two shows. They would tape at 5 o'clock, make a couple of small changes, and then they would tape again at 8 o'clock. So again, we're going to CBS Television City to watch the taping of a show that, at least on the script page, says that we wrote. And seeing those sets a couple of weeks ago when I was watching that reboot of The Jeffersons, all these memories kept flooding back to me of that taping night and seeing those sets in person for the first time and knowing that the cast and the crew and all of these people were doing a show that our names were on. Again, there were maybe four or five of our lines at best sprinkled in at the time. So they do the five o'clock show and one of the executive producers does the warm up. He's an older gentleman and he has a hearing aid and he is introducing everybody on stage to the audience. This is the uh, first AD and uh, over there is the casting person and Over there is the makeup guy and introducing everybody by name. And the only people he does not introduce are the writers. Doesn't introduce me and David. I figure, okay, this just is probably an oversight. For the 8 o'clock show, we had gotten a ton of tickets because we invited a lot of our friends and family come see it. As far as we knew at that time, 
this might be the only time we ever have a television show taped at CBS with our names on it. So we loaded the audience with our friends and family. And again, this gentleman is doing the warm-up, and he's introducing by name the craft services guy and the guy who schleps the cable and everything. He's just not introducing us. Picture this. I'm sitting in the front row off to the right, and my date was... Just let's just say a, a little spitfire. And at one point, one of our agents raised her hand and said, uh, excuse me, who wrote tonight's episode? And the warm-up guy goes, uh, uh. And my date, who saw that he had a hearing aid, so wanted to make sure that he heard this, said it loud enough that... I think people on the soundstage across the hall were able to hear it as well. She yelled out, hey, they're sitting right here, fucker. And, of course, it got a huge laugh from the audience. And he was befuddled. And, uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, Ken Ken Levine and, and David Isaacs. After the show, he takes us aside and he goes, look, um, I should have told you this beforehand, but we don't introduce the writers if they're, you know, white. (laughs) Which like, hey, thank you, Norman Lear. Come on. Because the whole writing staff at that time was white. I don't know how it became what the mix was at the end, but it was all white guys. Most of them middle-aged white guys. So we didn't realize it at the time, but that pretty much banned us from doing any future episodes of the Jeffersons. (laughs) A few weeks go by and the show is going to air. We have a big party at David's apartment. And you have to remember that This is now maybe eight, nine months removed from when we sat in that same apartment, clueless, writing outlines of the Mary Tyler Moore show. And to go from that in February and March to actually having a show on the air on Saturday night by November was absolutely phenomenal. So we packed the apartment with friends and had a cake and beer and all kinds of fun stuff and watched the show. We had not seen a, a cut of the show or anything. I mean, after after the taping, we were pretty much shut out of the <laughs> operation. You're sitting right here, fucker. And it was kind of tough because, I'll be very honest with you, the rewrite was not great. And a lot of the jokes did not really land. And so our friends are sitting there kind of politely laughing. (laughs) 
because they don't know which jokes are ours and which jokes aren't. So they're politely laughing and it's kind of awkward. And David and I are trying to do sabers and all. But at the end of the show, our credit comes up. And I've had my credit on TV many, many, many times. I've been very blessed in that regard. Seeing that credit for the first time, and it was big. The letters were big. They were white letters against a dark blue background. And they held it for like enough time that you could actually read the names. That was phenomenal. Everyone was taking pictures of the screen. And I have to say, the only time I felt even more choked up about seeing a credit was the first time I saw my daughter's credit on Good Luck Charlie. Seeing my daughter's name along with Jonathan Emerson was unbelievable to me. So the Jeffersons, like I said, always have a a warm spot in my heart. Well, our draft of the Jeffersons is what we submitted to MASH when Gene Reynolds was looking for a writing sample. We sent him our draft of the Jeffersons, and he liked that well enough to get us an assignment on MASH. So in every possible way, I have positive feelings towards the Jeffersons um, and Gordon Mitchell, who was really a godsend. And the amazing thing, well, there's so many amazing things about this. One is that we set out to spend two years doing this, hoping to break in. And we broke in in six months, which is almost unheard of. And the other thing, looking back, 1973, when I met David, I was a disc jockey in San Bernardino. We met during summer camp. Then I came back home to San Bernardino. The station had changed ownership, and I got fired. So I moved back to Los Angeles to live with my parents and tried to get another radio job. And, of course, back then, you didn't have cell phones. You didn't have voicemail. So you left a phone number, and the only way that you could connect with somebody is if you answered the phone when they called. So I would spend all day sitting in my parents' condo watching daytime television, waiting for the phone to ring, which never did, sending out tape after tape after tape. Every so often I would get a rejection letter, but basically nothing. And I couldn't get arrested. I couldn't get a job doing all nights in Fresno. So when you look back at November 1973, and I've been out of work for three or four months with no prospects whatsoever, really depressed, 
I have no career. I have no nothing to November 1975. And I'm a television writer with a show on CBS that followed all in the family and preceded the Mary Tyler Moore show and probably got 45 million people to watch. That was a mind blower to me. So that is the story of my first script. Uh, The other thing, though, about 1973 is that's when David and I actually decided to write when I came back to Los Angeles and I had nothing else going on. I called him up and I said, hey, remember me from the Army? We're talking about uh, both wanting to be writers someday. I have an idea. Um, you want to write something together? And we decided to do that. In 1974, I did get radio jobs. And so we kind of put it on hold for the most part while I bounced around from better city to better city till I finally gave it up. But uh, 1975 and the Jeffersons, it was a golden year. Well, we're moving on. And that will do it for this week. Again, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, Bruce and Jason Miller, Howard Hoffman, and John Wolfer. If you want to write me, I will write you back. Just email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine, Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.